It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now by one of our favorite feminist writers. She is the author of OK Boomer, Let's Talk, How My Generation Got Left Behind, and the author of a new New York Times op-ed about why women are having fewer babies. Jill Flipovich, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's been forever. Thanks so much for having me. It's it's nice to be on with two of my favorite people. It's always fun to talk to feminists always- in the morning, I feel like, right? Yeah, that's why people wake up and tune in. 8.30. I know. They asked me to be on at 7.30, and I was like, I just can't do it. I'm so- no, no. I, <laughs> you got to the later. I, I, liter- I literally was just having the, the thought, Jill, during the break, actually. I was like, you know what? I feel like, you know, the 7 o'clock hour just being headlines and guests in the 8 o'clock, is, we've done that the past couple of days, Jess. Like, we don't always do that, but we've done it's the past kinder. couple of days. I was like... I kind of like it. And I was like, I guess people like are, you know, I mean, Christina Grill wake up at 730. She's always up anyway. Um, But, you know, for for others, I feel feel bad. Yeah, it it is kinder. I agree. (laughs) So this is a good lesson. Especially brand with the piece. Women, people with kids can do the 730. (laughs) No, no, no. That's what what I was just about to say. Facts. That's straight, straight up. If you are child free, (laughs) you are probably not waking up at dawn. That is just a thing. Okay, so let's talk about this article. Um, I am 39 and I am up to my eyeballs in friends' babies right now for the first time in my life. Like I have had one, count them, one good friend have a child up until this year and this year it's like six. So I'm 39. (laughs) Is what's happening really a baby bust or or are we just having babies later? Yeah, I mean, I love that you phrase it that way because that's exactly what's happening. Um, It's not actually, well, it is the case that birth rates have been steadily decreasing since pretty much forever, (laughs) with the exception of the baby boom uh, from the mid-1940s to the mid-1960s. But that was the aberration. Before that and since then, Women have been having uh, smaller families and pretty steadily marrying and having their children later. So we're seeing an extension of that. Um, What has shifted uh, is that women are having children much later now, you know, into their 30s and 40s. Um, One thing that I, I thought was really interesting in researching this piece was that women aren't actually any more likely to be uh, child-free or childless, however you want to phrase it. Um, Women are actually today more likely to have a child uh, than they were even a decade or so ago. They're just having that child later in life. So just what you're observing of, you know, your friends in their late 30s and early 40s, you know, having their first child, especially in uh, big metropolitan areas like New York City, you know, that that's not aberrational, that that is kind of the new normal. Um, so I wouldn't say this is a baby bust so much as, you know, kind of a, a, a natural and um, kind of natural continuation 
of these big changes that have been happening to the American family. The thing I think that's so odd about the reaction. People used to have 12 kids. Right. But but that's sort of the the piece of this that's, um, you know, fascinating in the sense that as women gained more autonomy, bodily autonomy and reproductive freedom, the choices they made about what to do with that re- with their reproduction changed is, is that sort of a accurate way to think about it because when you have access to more contraception and more options and you can be like okay this is how i want to plan this out this is how i want to make my life um that that just result you don't have 12 kids anymore because we have access to birth control pills <laughs> and we don't have to have 12 kids anymore Right. I mean, so this is one of uh, the most well-established <laughs> patterns <laughs> that happens everywhere in the world that you look at it, which is that when women have the ability to plan their families, they do. And it, it does result typically in women having fewer children. Um, you know, this is uh, sort of outside of the op-ed, a topic that I've reported on in many, many corners of the world, you know, including places like Niger, which has the highest fertility rate of any country on the planet. Um, you know, and even there, you know, women want big families, right? But when they have access to contraception, what they tend to do is then space their children out a little further and, and plan their families, um, you know, still seeking to have very large ones so that it's not as dangerous to have many children, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to have a year between births, Um and that ultimately often results in, you know, having maybe one or two fewer children than they otherwise would have. But it also results in healthier children and it results in women who stay alive and are less likely to you know, die in pregnancy and childbirth. Um, you know, and, and we see that pattern everywhere that when women uh, can decide to have smaller families or can plan when they have their families. They absolutely take advantage of that. Um, you know, there are Certainly, you know, women, uh, particularly in places where women have more opportunities to work for pay and go to school, um, you know, who perhaps want to have children later and don't feel like they're able to do that because, you know, for example, in the U.S., we have such totally insane family unfriendly policies and we give women absolutely no support. Um, that's a real thing. And I think that's something that progressives should focus on. Right. But I'm not sure we should do it so that we can juice the birth rate, um, in part because I think that that assumes that women's kind of primary purpose of being is to have children. You know, and because when you look at countries with really generous family policies, women still aren't having three or four kids. Um, so, you know, I do think a big part of this is female desire and that we need to talk about these issues not just in the context of women are having fewer children, we're working under the assumption that that's bad, um, but women are having fewer children. The women that are having the fewest children are, are frankly the women with the most opportunities and the most privilege. You know, what, what does that, what could that tell us um, mm. about, you know, what the, the variety of things that women desire when they have more options? Yeah, I mean, I guess now that I think about it, there was a baby boom in my life before now, and it was immediately after high school. And I hadn't I hadn't actually considered that before. I did know I did know a lot of girls who got pregnant in their late teens, like extremely early 20s, and it wasn't planned. And 
they are, you know, their moms now um, with kids who are going to college and and that's crazy. But that's the reality for lots of America. So so talk about the reasons why it is it is it is it a lack of planning or is it the understanding that like, look, I'm never going to be financially able to have a kid. So I'm just going to do it anyway, because it matters so much to me. Like, why is it that the women who have the least ability to afford the incredibly expensive task of child rearing, um, why is it that they are the ones who are still more likely to have more children? Is it desire or is it circumstance? That's a great question. And, you know, I, I think for, for most women, it, it's some combination of the two, right? Um, you know, there has been some really interesting research on you know why women have kids when they do. And one of the reasons that women who have fewer educational and economic opportunities tend to have children much earlier, um, you know, is exactly just what you say that, you know, I think there is a sense of, you know, you look around and it's like, well, you know, I'm not moving up the corporate ladder. <laughs> it's not like, you know, if, if you're working, mm-hmm. um, you know, at, at a, at a Rite Aid, um, which, you know, is a perfectly fine job, but you're, maybe you can move up to a manager. It's, it's not like not having a child uh, is going to give you more opportunities than you otherwise would have had. Right. And so I think for a lot of women that, you know, have kind of, that are in wage work, uh, that don't go to college, um, that maybe don't graduate high school, there is less of a financial incentive to wait because there's, very little financial benefit to waiting. And in fact, there may be some really tangible benefits to having children earlier. You know, your mother and grandmother may still be alive to help you with childcare. Mm-hmm. Um, you're young and healthy. Um, you know, you're more able to kind of, you know, easily <laughs> expend the, the tremendous energy that people in their 20s have uh, you know, to work a job and raise a kid <laughs> at the same time. Um, you know, so I, it, it isn't the same, uh, yeah, the same set of incentives. Um, you know, that said, I think one thing that is really interesting is that American women across the board are having kids later. So, you know, while there is definitely a really significant class gap here, um, the, the average age that the American woman now has her first child, I believe is 24, 23 or 24, um, which is quite a bit older than it was, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Um, that still feels so young to me it feels so young but you know (laughs) we've seen a huge decrease uh in teen pregnancies and births for example um and you know that's largely because of increased access to long-acting contraception um and yes you know 23 24 seems very young to like i think you and i (laughs) who are in our late 30s where you know if you get married uh, or have a kid before 35 in new york city you're like a child bride um, but, you know, compared to the kind of vast sweep of human history to, to have your first birth at 24, um, I think is relatively, relatively notable. And, and, and in the U S that number is lower than it is, uh, in much of the rest of, you know, the kind of wealthy and developed world where many women are having their first child in, in their mid or even late twenties. Um, so kind of even across class lines, we're, we're seeing a shift here. Um, you know, we're seeing that shift go in tandem with more women uh, going to college or achieving some kind of higher education, um, with more women working outside of the home for pay, uh, and with later marriage rates as well. Do you, you, uh, you, this doesn't sound like a reason for cultural panic to me. (laughs) 
No, right. I, and I don't think it. I don't think it should be. <laughs> yeah, like I'm but like, it's, what, this yeah. doesn't seem like a bad thing. This all it seems great. like a good thing. <laughs> I think this. I, I I do think this is largely a good thing. I mean, I'll I'll tell you what the panifers would tell you. Um, you know, I think what they would tell you is uh, is twofold. One, they would say this is going to be a problem because we're going to have a country full of old people and we're not going to be able to pay. We're not going to have young workers paying into Social Security. Uh, we're not going to have anyone to fund, you know, the vast social welfare programs that progressives want and care about. Um, I would say they, they would say that's problem A. They would point to problem B as women are having fewer children than they want. Um, and this is an argument that you hear a lot from, you know, people that are a bit more pro-natalist than I am. Uh, you know, the problem there is that there isn't actually a, a ton of good research and data on what it is women want. Um, there's something called the General Social Survey, which asks all women between the ages, I believe it's 18 and 50, uh, how many children the ideal family has. And then that is used as a proxy for what women want, right? Um, but the question that you ask an 18-year-old, how many children does the ideal family have, is a really different question than asking that 18-year-old when she's 26, how many children would you like to have, right? Mm -hmm. um, and yet those two things are treated as, as identical. Um, so, you know, there is, there is some evidence that obviously, uh, I mean, we know that some women, even many women, are having fewer children than they want. And, you know, I would love it if every insurance company were required to cover fertility treatments and IVF. Um, you know, as of now, they're not. You know, when it comes to the Social Security piece and the funding of a social welfare state, you know, that that is a concern. Um, I guess I would say I'm not sure it's quite uh, sustainable or intelligent to put the burden of sustaining a social welfare state, you know, literally on like the uteruses of women expecting us to create a generation of workers, you know, so that the elderly can be cared for. Um, you know, I think human beings are remarkably creative and we can probably figure out another way to fund this thing. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's so unusual, this conversation, or at least the idea that people are worried, the worriers, um, because I think that when I did this exercise, I think it, would, it was the beginning of 2020 before pandemic, of course. Um, but I did an exercise where I was like, well, let me just make a list of all the things, everything, just anything possible, like that I want to do in my life, where I want to go, what I want to do, cool things I want to try, just like the the big list, the bucket list, but like bigger, just like, and when I realized that husband and kids weren't on the list, because I was like, well, let's just do the other things, because that, those are the things I, that I can't really control that, <laughs> per se, but I can control if I go to Italy, right, like, I can control this, this side of the page, um, and the thing that I realized in doing that exercise and I've talked about this before on the show, is that I got a little stuck um, mid-list because once I took those other two big things that basically had been acculturated to believe I wanted off of the table, I was like, whoa, that opened up so much brain <laughs> space um, <laughs> for creative ideas on how on the things I just want to do in my life um, to enjoy it because you, you live one time and you want to do as many cool things that give you joy and I was like, oh, what if everyone did this? <laughs> like, what if every woman went through this exercise where they took that off the table? Because life is, is about more than that, even if, you know, that is on your personal list, right? Definitely. And I, and I love that. I love that 
idea. I, I agree. We should maybe we should mandate that everybody <laughs> <laughs> just take it off the table. And, Try to do a list. Right? See what happens. And I also love what that what that illustrates, which I which I think is such a, a common thing that women experience. Um, and that I think we often don't talk about or, or don't fully understand in these conversations. You know, we talk about female desire when it, you know, when it comes to children and family as if it is like a static thing, right? And if it's not, as if it's not like any of our other desires, which is responsive and changing with our circumstance. Um, you know, so I think there are tons of women who would say, you know, kind of in theoretically, sure, I would, I would love, you know, to be married and have two kids. You know, that would be my ideal family. But then, okay, what if we don't meet the right person? You know, do you still want to have two kids? <laughs> do you want to have one kid? Do you want to have no kids? You know, I think a lot of women do then change, you know, what, what they want um, or what they would have said they want, uh, given what happens to them in their lives. And, you know, as you say, some of those things you can control. You can control whether you go to Italy. You can control whether you have, to some degree, whether you have a kid. Um, you know, you, it's much harder to control whether you meet someone that you want to marry. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, and I think a lot of women also do is really know exactly what you're talking about, which is that, you know, they start to experience um, some other things in life other than walking that really traditional path and realize there's actually a ton of benefits there, right? And maybe, mm-hmm. you know, this certainly was true in my life. Um, you know, I certainly, as a, as a young person, you know, as a high schooler or whatever assumed I would you know, get married and have kids in my 20s because that was a normal thing. And then went off mm-hmm. to college and saw that the world was a little bigger and more interesting and there was a ton of stuff I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and like you also <laughs> took marriage and kids off the table. Um, you know, that shifted eventually again in response to my circumstances. Um, you know, but I, I, I think women being people change our minds. We react when, when our circumstances shift. And when we have more opportunities, and especially when we have more, you know, the kind of positive opportunities that men have long had, opportunities uh, to travel, to get a little bit of power, to make a little bit of money, um, to be independent, to engage uh, kind of in the political realm, um, you know, in the public realm, instead of the sort of traditional female realm of the private and the domestic, we start making really different choices. Um, And you see women make a much wider variety of choices. And, you know, that I think is the sort of biggest and most important takeaway that there is no singular thing that women want. Just like there's no singular thing that men want. <laughs> but when you give women more opportunities, women. they're just like choices, people. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, then it turns out, yeah, some women want to have kids at 25 and some women want to have kids at 45 and some never want kids. Um, and look, that's not cause for concern because the variety of choices we're making, you know, is wider than ever before. You know, I think that's cause for some real celebration, um, you know, and kind of leaning into that ability uh, of women to make the choices that best suit their lives and, and have lives that you know, open women up um, to a variety of options. 
literally nothing that you have talked about here has done anything other than brighten my mood today. So um, yeah. that's not normal for a conversation that three feminists get to have about cultural <laughs> panic and women childbearing. So thank you for that, <laughs> Jill Flipovich. The book that you have written is OK Boomer, Let's Talk, which I highly recommend to anybody who hasn't yet. Um, but thank you so much for this op-ed and, and hanging out with us this morning. Truly enjoyed it. Thank you for waking Thanks up. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I hope we I see you soon. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Anytime. Yes, please. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening.